0: Hello everyone and welcome into debate night yet again. I'm Hunter joined as always by Brody in Dallas remotely and then Silas is in studio today. Um, it's the off season, which means there's not a ton going on in the disc golf world to talk about but we still got stuff to go over. We still got stuff to go through. Uh, Black Friday is coming up pretty exciting times at Foundation. A uh, lot of sales, drops, all kinds of stuff happening. You can check all our social media for the specifics but Four different type of mystery boxes, 15% off all weekend long from 6 to 7 p.m. on Friday, 25% off site-wide, some black-on-black apparel, all kinds of good stuff um, going down. So you're not going to miss out on any of that. But Brody, how's your uh, how's your off-season going so far?
1: Oh, it's going. I was going to say I saw your guys' uh, new black-on-black stuff that you were wearing in GripLocked. That was pretty sick. Yeah.
0: Yeah, was, there's some... There, was, I, I really like the line. Uh, I'm actually rocking sick. the hat today. The, is like, the, black the most- on black hat. is the black-on-black hat black on black you can barely see the foundation logo but in person when the light hits it it's pretty sick
1: it's pretty nasty okay sick um no off season's been going really good haven't been playing too much disc golf mainly because of the weather it's been Mm -hmm. either rainy or cold and windy which is fine because my focus right now really i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get something set up here maybe in the garage or something. I don't have as much space in this house as I did in Lynchburg or I did in my previous house in Dallas uh, as far as like indoor stuff goes. So For like putting and stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to try to maybe get something set up a net or I don't know. It it seems like the garage maybe can only get like 25 footers in, which is obviously better than nothing, but the, the setup here is not as ideal as I would have liked it to be. But for me, the off season importance really is like trying to get back into shape. Cause I think that's yeah, I going to say
0: you've been, you've been tweeting about your weight loss journey. And then I just saw your, uh, bike, your, uh, I'm assuming you're tracking that on Peloton, but track driving yeah. or biking from Dallas to New York. Yeah. Is that so, a little yeah. bit more than you anticipated.
1: Well, it's like a third, it's a third party app, right? So, mm. I'm doing, I'm doing power zone training. And for those that don't know what that is, you essentially take this test, it's 20 minutes long and it essentially after taking this 20 minute test, it essentially gauges what your fitness level is at that moment. And then it basically creates seven zones for you of how much um, effort or in this case output that you're producing so output is produced by cadence and resistance. So if you have a low resistance, high cadence you're gonna have a certain output if you have a high resistance low cadence you, you're gonna have the same output but you basically the way they have this this these power zone classes set up is me and hunter could be taking the same exact class and even though hunter in, at the end does like 700 output and I do 500 output, our bodies are gonna be feeling exactly the same because it's exactly what we needed for our fitness level. It's based on
0: like personal exertion.
1: Yeah, so after a couple weeks of taking these classes and doing more and getting more back into shape, I'll retake the test, get new uh, levels basically, and then continue taking more classes and building, building, building. So the thing at Peloton that's kind of tough right now is back when I was taking you know, classes and I was in a lot better shape, all those scores or, you know, class scores, whatever you want to say, like I can see what my output used to be in classes. Yeah. So I'm like 15 minutes in a 45 minute workout and my output is 180. And I can see what my output was when like my best ride. And it's like 375. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm so far back. Um, (laughs) So that's just like the, the journey thing I posted, that is just a like third party app where you essentially, you can just decide where you want to go. You can pick where you want to start and you can pick where you want to go anywhere in the world. And it's just a fun little thing that it just adds on every, all the miles you do in your workouts. So I'm not, some people are like asking, which would actually be pretty sick. Like, are you physically taking that trip? Like, so if you mm. get to a bridge GPS wise, does your Peloton like increase resistance to like make up for that hill? And it's like, no, that would have been kind of cool. Um, it's more just over the course of these several months of me riding, I'm just going to see how far I can get close to New York. So we'll see. But yeah, no, those are going good. Uh, the rides are going good. Um, I'm getting in some walks too on the treadmill. I like got an incline, so like to kind of simulate what it would be like to walk on a disc golf course, kind of just get some of that in when when I'm not out playing, and then uh getting back into the gym as well. Got a good uh lifting program that I'm doing, strength and strength and conditioning program. And um yeah, I think I'm down already a few percentage points in body fat which is great and I'm hoping to be down like six pounds I would say six or seven pounds by next Monday Mm. so we'll see the way I mean when you're super super fat the weight comes off very quickly and then obviously it slowly starts coming off the more you get down Um, but so far I'm very happy with everything Uh, and the way I view it is you know last year Last year, I was I felt very explosive at the beginning of the season, and because I was obviously in shape at that time, um, and I think what happened is like I was very explosive, but maybe my form, maybe things weren't all lined up perfectly in the beginning of the season. And as the season went, my throwing and everything got better, but my fitness got worse. And so I didn't really see this drastic change in performance. If anything, my performance was better towards the end of the season. But my question is, like, it can't hurt to, like, maintain that fitness throughout the season. So yeah. I'm not going to get worse by being more explosive, be more, be uh, stronger, more fit at the end of the season. So my whole thing is, like, it can't hurt to help to just try to get back into sh- a really good shape and then like maintain that throughout the season. So we'll see, we'll see what ends up happening.
2: Um, is there
0: anything you're like focusing on specifically like in the gym? Cause like, obviously it sounds like Peloton and walking. That's a lot of cardio and leg stuff, but mm-hmm. gym wise, like lifting, is there any like thing specific you're focusing on or like muscle groups that you've realized like, this is what I need to target disc golf wise. Cause I've always been fascinated by that. Like I've heard some people do like tennis or baseball, like training exercises and stuff, but like, while they're close, obviously they're not exact. So I didn't know if there was anything like you were like, oh, I really found when I do X, Y, or Z that really helps my game or anything like that.
1: Yeah, for me right now, it's just kind of a full body thing. Um, no, not right now, bud. Sorry, the dogs are, <laughs> the dogs are whining. Uh, right now, it's just a full body thing. So right now, the focus is more on just getting back to a decent level of fitness because yeah. right now, it's, it, I mean... If you saw me in some of these gym workouts, you'd be like, what the heck, dude? It's it's not good. So try to get back to a decent – can you can you stop right now? Go to mom. <laughs> Go to mom. Go to mom. Go to mom. Thank you. Um, try to get to a decent level of fitness. And then once I get there, I can start focusing on some movements and stuff like that. I got a, a lot of the footwork. Like to me, I thought that helped a lot doing a lot of ladder work. So oh, okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah busting out and just being more light on your toes, uh, light on your feet, if you will, uh, and just have better footwork. I think that helps. Obviously the flexibility I think is a huge one too, uh, when it comes to obvi- obviously in- injury prevention, but also you know just being able to get into certain positions, scrambling and, and whatnot. Uh, but all those will come more when I actually get to a decent level of fitness. Uh, it's kind of the same thing as like if you take someone to the gym you're not going to have them do too many, too much strenuous stuff right away because their body's just going to get wrecked, and it's going to be harder for them to want to keep coming back. So, like, the whole idea is to like slowly kind of work yourself into it so you don't overload too quick. But yeah. I'm already in week three, um, and uh, we're ramping it up already on on just the actual like volume, I guess you could say. Uh, eventually what I'll do is I'll have like a specific workout session that is more focused on like disc golf. So the gym will always be just getting strength, getting explosion, all that stuff. And then the, the secondary workout will be more about movement, um, flexibility, um, quickness, those type of things. Uh, yeah, that's basically it.
0: That makes sense. Are you doing this all yourself or you have like a trainer?
1: So for the cardio stuff, Peloton, you have, you know, obviously the people that are taking the class, doing the classes and whatnot, Yeah, and you can have, you can basically take, they have stuff on there for you. But again, I use this like third party, it's called Mm -hmm. PowerZone pack. Um, I've been doing, doing rides and stuff with them for, for years. And I think they have a good system of picking classes that work. So I do that for my cardio side of things. And then the strength and conditioning side, I do have a personal trainer for that. And then all the other movement and stuff like that, I have uh, a guy for that as well that I've been working with for, you know, ultimate and all
0: that for for years. So makes sense. Well, cool. I was always Um, fascinated with that when off season comes around, how people people take different stuff. Yeah. They take different approaches to different focuses on stuff. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I'll say this too. I don't think disc golf it is as, as critical, right? Like, no. if I was in my fitness level that I was at the end of the season, ultimate, I would be getting laughed off the field. You can't, you can't be in bad shape and play ultimate. Yeah. But in disc golf, uh, you know, you can get away with it very easily. But again, it, I, I just don't think it can hurt.
0: Well, it's similar new- to, to golf in a lot of ways, right? Like yes. you can have like a John Daly, but like obviously there's a reason that all these guys are spending so much time and energy and everything in the gym getting their fitness level up because like whether it's just flexibility and, and disc golf flexibility, I think is huge. Just the explosiveness of being able to just, it, the movement in disc golf is very explosive, but it also can be done in a non-athletic way, if that makes sense to where you don't have to have like you can be unflexible and still play disc golf at a decent level. Mm-hmm. But I think that to be able to maintain that throughout a season and throughout a tournament consistently is where the like fitness level comes in. If that makes sense. I don't know yeah. what I just said, but it made sense in my head. <laughs> oh no, yeah.
1: It's, it's something that's not dire, but yeah. it's something that you can also get by with just do playing disc golf. Right. Cause obviously yeah. there, if you, if you don't do anything, if you have a very sedentary lifestyle, and you just start adding disc golf into that lifestyle you're going to start losing weight uh if you don't do anything different if you you don't change your eating or anything like that if you don't do anything you start doing something you're gonna lose weight pretty pretty easily so i think that it's the same way of like if you're constantly playing disc golf you're going to get stronger in the movements that you're doing for disc golf so there is that, but could you be getting stronger, faster, doing other stuff? Yes. The question yeah. is like, how big of a gap does that make? And I guess the answer will be found out this year coming up. So, hmm. um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a season where I've been healthy and strong and fit. So I'm looking forward to having one next year and seeing what happens. But nice. speaking on social media, cause I know we were talking a little bit about it. First got to say, what the heck happened to Argentina? Those People watching now, did you Do you know what happened?
0: My brother just sent me a Snapchat of the score.
1: Yeah, they just lost to Saudi Arabia.
0: Yeah, that's. I didn't see what happened, but I just saw the Snapchat where what? Messi was all sad on the field and then Argentina was lost. What? It was 2-1, right?
1: Yeah. So yeah. that just happened. talking still a little bit about the World Cup, I made a tweet that got a little bit of a uh, – a little bit of a response, I guess a lot more of a response on Facebook. It's always fascinating to me too, to post the same exact thing on like the three different platforms and just to see the difference in the comment section, because Facebook is wow. If, if anything, I mean, I guess Twitter gets a little political here and there, but Facebook goes down the deep end real fast. So I posted, if you didn't see the United States, uh, Wales game, they basically had, you know, they did the national anthem for both teams at the beginning. And I, I wasn't even, and this is where I want to kind of clarify. I wasn't saying that I believe that you should be belting out the national anthem. What I was basically saying was like, there was a, Stark difference between the United States players and the, uh, I believe, is it Welch, Welch players? Is that the correct yeah, terminology? I guess you say. So. The players that play for Wales. Uh, there was a stark difference between the two. On the Wales side, every single player was mouthing the words, like, right, and, and singing at certain points very loudly on the United States side, there was only a handful, maybe two or three guys that were actually doing that. Then there was a few that weren't doing anything. And then there was a couple that were like doing the, where you question, do they actually know the words? Because (laughs) because, that was my thing is like, if you know the words, but you don't want to sing it, right? You can kind of just be like, and we've seen this before in like football games. The the most famous one I can think of is the uh, oh my gosh was the running back that had a tear coming down before the football uh, the in or was it college football national championship? I can't remember. But we we have seen like obviously a bunch of national anthems across a bunch of different sports and how athletes handle the handle it differently, right? My thing is like I thought it was very interesting to see the two side by side had the other country had we been playing a country and no one was really seeing it and they're just standing there i don't think i would have noticed or said anything i just thought it was very interesting seeing the difference between the two and then that just like spurred an entire like well our country sucks uh people and then there's people are like well we don't have patriotism is like frowned upon now and you just had all these different sides coming from everything And I wasn't even necessarily even saying anything about like, yeah, it was crazy how you can just make a small little statement like that of like something that you have observed and then it just opens the floodgates to where people then perceive it how they They want They see it through their lens. Correct. And then they just go off the deep end. So
0: what um, I felt like when I read the tweet and someone said this, but I think the way they said it was a little weird. They said like we're not a singing culture, which I think I understand what they were did saying. Did you see my
1: response? My response I was did. legendary. Your response was false. My from the was 80s really good. college
0: <laughs> night. Um uh but I I think I see what they were saying cuz I come from like a similar standpoint is like in America I think a lot of times we use like silence as respect. Mm-hmm. So to me a lot of times like when the national anthem when, like I don't think singing it's disrespectful but I think some players are on the other side of the fence where they stand there and like the silence is their show of respect for the national anthem because like when I was growing up like we were taught you you're quiet during the national anthem you know hand over your heart standing there as respect for the country. Yeah. And so I think that like that's a, a difference too cuz like other cultures are more on the like belting your national anthem as a sign of respect and patriotism. Uh, and then I think the middle of the road is just like that uncomfy level where, like, you just you know maybe they saw whales singing and they're like, oh, I guess are we supposed to sing our national well, anthem right whales, now? Or went, like, sec- whales went second. Wales went second. Okay, but it like you more, know it's like that. No, you, I, I you get. Like, I've seen, seen it, this uh, of where
1: you're there or like the any any military service members they just stand at salute. They don't sing. Yeah, I've seen like the hands behind the back, like looking down kind of thing. Like I've I've seen it all. I think it was just for me. I think it was the players that were kind of doing the mumble. I was going to say the mumble, that's like a classic.
0: Like if you've been at at church and like the person next to you, like they're singing during worship, but like they don't really want to sing too loud because they're embarrassed of their voice or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like the classic, like, like the, you have to like, you're saying like, is this person even like singing? Like their mouth's moving, but nothing's coming out. Yeah, I think that's a very like typical, like American singing in a choir. I don't know. It just felt like when you said it, I was like, I, I can like all three of them. I'm like, yeah, I know all three of those people. And, like, yeah. I feel like all three of them can come from the exact same thing of, like, they're all showing respect just in different ways.
1: Yeah, I think to me it was just the most interesting was just, again, seeing how everyone viewed it completely differently. You yeah. Because then some people, like, defended them and were like, well, they don't – they weren't even born in this country or, like, half of them don't even live in this country. And then I saw someone respond to that being like, well, everyone on the Wales team doesn't live in, in Wales. Yeah, and they all so like it was just it's so interesting to see how everyone took it. Um, we'll see what I work up when we play when we play England because I was telling to call Kel- it soccer. I, well, I was telling oh yeah, I was telling Kelsey <laughs> this too. Like this is gonna be like the first time that they say they uh, sing "God Save the King" because it's been "God oh. Save the Queen." So this I might be, that. yeah, this might be one of the more electric national anthems in years. Because I mean, they already go nuts uh, in the past, but like this is the first time that they sing "God Save the King." So we'll see how that works out. On what do they do if they have a king and, and queen? It's a
0: king. Yeah.
1: What do they do if they have a king and queen?
0: Because I've just never even thought of it being a different national. I don't anthem. think you can
1: have a king and queen.
0: How could you not? Am I wrong?
1: Because it has to be blood, and only one person can. Oh,
0: you're saying if? Okay. Because you can have like a prince and a princess, right? Like if you marry a prince, you're a princess. Oh yeah, no. You're or right. vice versa. You're right. I guess there's had. Is it God save the king well, and queen? Well, no,
1: they didn't. They didn't. Okay, we're we're gonna be sounding really dumb to well, our did, European well, con- to start our off, European listeners right to now. To start
0: off, you just blew my mind when you said "God save the king" because I didn't know that that was even a thing. I just yeah. it's always been "God save the queen."
1: But but the thing is, like, there wasn't a king, right? There wasn't a king Correct. when there was a queen.
0: All right, I'm googling this. So
1: I don't How think I don't
0: British. I think they just had to, had
1: to make someone king because the queen died. Correct. So in what scenario would there ever be a king and a queen?
0: But is it just always God save the queen?
1: It's whoever's it's in whoever's running the country. It's just been a queen for a really long time. Yeah, I don't think they've ever had a king and a queen at the same time. I don't think they... That wouldn't make any sense because at first I thought what you said it was like, okay, well well if the royal family had a son and a daughter, then yes they would be a prince and a princess but whoever ended up taking the crown they would be the king or the queen but then I don't think the other person would be the king or the queen. like yeah, I don't think it would, I think you're that, right. But but if one of them passed away, then I mean, the that's, other That's fascinating that the national anthem just
0: changes now.
1: It's also still wild that we have kings that's and crazy. queens like that's like well, don't they don't actually
0: a, hold power correct they're just uh, it's still
1: not talked about enough well maybe it is actually probably it's talked about too much now that i think about it the people that actually pay attention to that stuff probably talked about too much heck they that, even have their own like netflix show um
0: <laughs> i just i but, mean the, the fact that oh, the wait, Anthem kelsey is kelsey,
1: kelsey just dominated silas here with with the with the statistics oh, get wrecked, coming silas. In.
0: silas wasn't even typing i use i was doing my own research <laughs> over here
1: all right, so Kelsey asks, can you have a king and queen? I think Silas
0: queen- forgets he has a mic. He was just like looking at me, mouthing <laughs> stuff.
1: Can you have a king and a queen at the same time? Yes, but you don't have to. When a king is crowned, his wife usually becomes queen or some variation of the title. Queen Elizabeth II, mother, also Elizabeth, became queen, consort, I don't know what that word means, when her husband was crowned king and was most known, known as the queen mother. Take that for what you will. Very confusing stuff. I'll stick to my game of thrones. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about was some of the backlash we were getting in the comment section of our Prada video. And I got a little bit on the video we posted on my channel. And I was seeing obviously some people didn't like the shortness in the video. Yeah. Is was the audio was content? Is, is the audio right now fine, Silas?
0: Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, it's good.
1: okay. Um, yeah, so a little bit of backlash on the, the length, which it is what it is. Like you said, bonus content, extra video. But I want to give a little kind of more context of what happened because I think some people... It didn't get put in my video, which I think kind of hurt the storyline a little bit. I don't know if it was put in... I didn't watch the the full beginning of the video on Foundations channel. But were the tweets put in there at all or no? Do you know?
0: I think you just showed the receipt.
1: Okay. So I think adding a little context helps. Someone had mentioned or sent me a tweet with this Frisbee. Okay. Kelsey jokingly said like, ooh, or something along the lines of like, ooh, this looks nice, yada, yada, yada. I then jokingly said, if this gets an X, I can't remember how many, 500, 700, 1,000, something like that. If this gets this many retweets, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah. Well, it ended up getting that many retweets. So it's like, I'm okay. I'm going to buy it. What the heck? Yeah. So we bought it. The other thing though, I was already very curious as to like what this actually was because we know like what the lengths and stuff it takes to actually make a frisbee, like to get a mold and all that. So I was very curious because there was no information on the website of like where it came from. If they were, if Prada was actually manufacturing it or whatnot, it turns out they just bought basically a, um, a, what do you call it? A stamp disc, um,
0: yeah, it's just like a custom stamped. I think it was made by like XCOM, Xcom or something. Yeah,
1: which is the Chinese company. They yeah, just basically whammo. Yeah, they they basically just did that. And so again, very fascinating to see everything. I was also very curious to see like how it was going to be packaged. It was packaged like it was a Prada purse, which I thought was very interesting. And it came with the Prada satchel, which I'm curious actually how much that costs. That actually might cost. Like a hundred dollars just by itself potentially because again the product name does hold a lot of weight so that's where the whole idea of the video came from i think some people kind of missed that and didn't really understand that it was kind of a joke a little bit of where it's like a lot of it <laughs> i mean obviously a lot of it but but we were serious in the sense of like when we first got it obviously when we had did the foundation video we had already did the review and all that stuff. So at that yeah. point, we were like, this is just a Frisbee with the Prada logo on it. But when me and Kelsey initially got it and we did the unboxing, we, we, that was a serious unboxing of like, I'm very curious as to what is in this box. Yeah. But clearly when it was like, oh, I know. It's just a it, Frisbee. It's just a Frisbee. I've, I've literally have thrown this thousands of times. Yeah. Uh, that's where the joke kind of like, okay, it's a $700 disc. So Uh, one to clear the air there. I think there was a few, a few people that were confused.
0: No. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was a, I mean, I think part of it too, is those videos. We like shot them back in Charleston in July. So, and then, you know, we just had so many other pieces of content coming out. You went back on tour. We forgot about it for a little bit. And then we finally like, Oh, let's get back to this and post it to where like, even people who might've known the context, like forgot about the tweet exchange and all that, because It just took so long to to get around to actually getting it out. So I think that's just some of it. Another of it is just like some people are just gonna be upset. I mean, it is a very weird prompt for a video, like spending seven hundred dollars on a what end up being a whammo frisbee with a strap. So Yeah, but, but there's always gonna be some people upset about that.
1: But what if we spend a thousand dollars a couple of year uh, next year on a frisbee and it's like made out of gold?
0: Yeah, I that'd be sick. I mean, does, didn't sick. we see, uh, didn't someone show like a carbon fiber Frisbee?
1: Yes, that would also be
0: disgusting. This is a Chanel one, I think. How much was it, Silas? It's I'm, like, it's like I'm, uh, five grand. Five? Yeah, five grand.
1: What, the carbon fiber?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Chanel. Um, let me find this thing.
1: Wait, Chanel came out with a carbon fiber one? <laughs> yeah. See, now that piques my
0: interest even more. <laughs> Uh, I can only find it on like a secondhand store.
2: Yeah, that's that's right though.
0: But they don't they sell like other luxury items and stuff. I don't know. Like, like I can see it on Poshmark. No, I can see it on Tradesy. There's like some. It's like Brailed. on some different website that's not Chanel. Yeah, like it's like some. Like, it's like people like bought it on Chanel and now are flipping it. And they're flipping yeah, it. Like in. Interesting. On Posh it's seven thousand three hundred and sixty dollars. Oh my gosh. Black carbon fry, carbon fiber CC logo frisbee.
1: Yeah, like what? Oh, mold this looks like a disc. It doesn't
0: even look like a frisbee. No, it's a frisbee. It's a frisbee. It's like a lid. It almost looks like a polecat. There's a carbon fiber polecat out there for people who want it. <laughs> you just gotta pay seven thousand dollars is chanel.com chanel's website all right let's go to chanel i'm in america
1: just search frisbee
0: i'm gonna just search see what frisbee shows up see, see if it's on there
1: maybe they only made one and it got sold and now they don't have it
0: there's no results for frisbee yeah i don't know interesting it Just is out there carbon fiber chanel frisbee if this podcast gets fifteen thousand likes we will buy that and play with it that's fair. 15,000 likes. I think we think that's that can be the goal. You know
1: you know what I'm watching right now? I'm what? watching that that Pepsi documentary about the jet. That? Oh, you haven't heard about this? No. So this is back. This might have been like back before like the loyalty points and all that thing was a thing. Okay. Someone at Pepsi was like, "Hey, what if we come up with this idea of where like the more Pepsi you buy, the more Pepsi points you get?" which you then can purchase like cool Pepsi merchandise and all that stuff. And they're like, oh, okay, sweet. And at this time, Pepsi's big thing to try to take Coke down, which obviously was like the first Cola brand and all that, was all about marketing. So like, you know, the beginning of this documentary talks all about how they were getting all these big name athletes, all these celebrities, they were making these sick commercials, all this. And so they had this really cool idea to sell more Pepsi, but they had a hard time like have like the idea of like getting it out to the masses of putting it in a commercial, it's like not they're basically saying it's not like the sexiest thing of like, hey, buy more of our Pepsi and then basically be a billboard for us walking around with your Pepsi jacket and stuff Yeah, you right? get like t
0: shirts and stuff. Yeah.
1: They're like, how do we make that sexy? How do we make that into a commercial that you know tells people? So the commercial starts and it's this kid walking out of his bedroom with a pepsi shirt and at the bottom it's like pepsi shirt 70 pepsi points and then he's walking he puts on his like leather pepsi leather jacket it's like pepsi leather jacket 12 uh 1200 pepsi points he puts on like his pepsi sunglasses 500 pepsi points right and then the whole thing is just uh talking over there's like some narration going on that's not very important and then all of a sudden he just like drops into his school on a harrier jet just (laughs) and like the thing opens up and he's like he's like something about like how taking the bus isn't that cool to do anymore or whatever right and the commercial ends that says like harrier jet seven million pepsi points but there's no fine print there's nothing at all Right. And all the Pepsi people were like, obviously this is a joke. This is not serious. But this one dude was like, this one dude took it seriously of wait a second. And like did the math and basically figured out that a Harrier jet is between something like 28 and $30 million. And accumulating 7 million pepsi points and he did the math of like that's like it's like 1.4 million bottles of pepsi or something and like how many warehouses they would have to have and how they would have to have workers to pull the pepsi points off the bottles and all this stuff and his math basically made it to where it was like it was gonna cost him like 4.3 million dollars to do it to get 7 million pepsi points and i mean you do the math You spend four million dollars to get something worth thirty million dollars, kind of makes sense. Yeah, and that that's where I'm at right now. So, yeah. So, like, I'm I'm deep into this first episode, and it's fascinating. But yeah, that's you reminded me of that of where you you know I can't remember what you said, but you said said something fifteen
0: thousand likes to get the yes frisbee. But I I meant it. If we if this podcast gets fifteen thousand likes.
1: Well, I know, but I'm saying it's like that's something where you just out of your mind. You're like, "There's no chance." The, the execs were saying, "There's no chance anyone ever will get seven million Pepsi points," that's and fair. now you're here saying, "There's no chance we get fifteen thousand likes." But if everyone that listens to this likes it on YouTube, then yes, it will get fifteen thousand likes, and we will that have is, to buy that frisbee.
0: That is that is a fair point. Maybe I should have said it a little higher, but it's too late I, now. I think, the words are out of my mouth. I
1: feel like I feel like thirty thousand or something to where it's like we would have to double our listeners.
0: You you live and you learn. We'll see.
1: Okay, we'll see. Um, We'll see what happens. Other thing I wanted to talk about. No, that's pretty much it, actually. All
0: right, well, I've got a few things.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, what do you got?
0: I don't know if you saw the Drew Gibson elevated basket tweet. Yeah, I had um, someone.
1: I had someone mention that, saying like, "Oh, you guys should talk about that." And I was like, eh, "Yeah, I, I feel wanted like to I've bring talked up about it enough. But. We've
0: talked about elevated baskets a lot, so I don't really mm-hmm. want to go over everything about me. But I love them. I love yes. elevated baskets. But I did think he brought up. He wasn't really making this like his main point. He parked on, but I think he brought up a great question within it. So I'll just read his tweets and then I'll bring up what I thought was fascinating about it. Uh, so he said, shout out to any and all course designers. When you raise the basket slash target, you then alter how the target slash basket was designed to catch. The process of designing a basket is based at X height and the PDGA won't approve it unless it meets those standards. Why is raising it? Okay. And then he goes on to keep um, talking through his biggest point, I think was when you raise it, it alters how it's designed to catch uh, my biggest question though. I thought we hadn't come through, come across. Cause like that, that part, then the easy counter argument is like, well, so does putting it on a steep hill or a steep mm. downslope. That's the same thing. But my part that I, you know, thought I think we've talked about it somewhat, but I haven't ever looked into it. But like the PDJ does have a like range for like a championship level basket, where from the ground to the top of the cage, I believe it's eighty-two centimeters with a six-centimeter forgiveness thing on either side for the basket to be approved. Okay. So what I think is fascinating is like, why does that exist? if once the basket's approved it can then be raised however at tournaments like that is a, that is a, a interesting point that you know i pulled out of his his tweet there of like it why be, does why does that it, exist if it if it can just be changed
1: it can be lowered as well right
0: yeah like what I'm, from what i saw is the basket the, has to you, be that height bury, to be approved but yeah, then like tournaments the can do whatever they is, want
1: yeah, if you bury the basket, it's still like an approved basket, but it's just buried in the ground a
0: little Yeah, bit. so I guess the question is like, why have the standard why? on approval if you're not going to regulate the usage?
1: Um, That's a good question. I think maybe it just has to do with, with, you know, they want just a standard standardized basket, so that way when you aren't manipulating it, it's just... Because like what are people going to come out with mini baskets like this basket's only two feet off the ground and this basket's five feet off the ground like that doesn't seem
0: well like i could see some turn i could see course designers if if discraft came out with a chain star that already had a six and a half foot pole to where you didn't have to go figure that out like i can see course designers being like oh i want the elevated basket
1: don't they just change out the pole I don't yeah. know. I, I haven't they looked do. too. Much. They do now, but
0: like a tournament uh, course designer is the one that has to go do it. So I'm saying, like, mm. if there was, if companies were like able to make them that were already like pre-packaged, yeah, this shipping one's elevated. A whatever, six and
1: a half foot pole is probably I way mean, more shipping expensive a than just tough. Yeah, I know. I I don't. I still don't even know how that works. That that seems like <laughs> a lot of money. It's a very heavy item, but yeah, yeah. know. I mean, you make a good point of where. You know, should they be regulating more so how the baskets are used versus. Yeah, because I mean, do they do they regulate anything on. Um, do they regulate anything on tee pads Because I've played like I've played a C-tier event where we just had like a. No, they definitely don't regulate anything on tee pads because I've played in t- like. Tons of temporary tee pads where it's literally just like two flags.
0: The only thing they you're might just throwing, is for like different tiers. Th-
1: yeah, that's what I wonder. Like, oh, maybe not. I think the disc golf pro tour maybe do, does their own thing, and like the PDGA doesn't really have anything with tee pads.
0: I, you know, now that you say that, I feel like I have at like big tournaments played where there's yeah, like a flag like, that extends. Like, if you want to throw it from the grass, you can.
1: Well, we've done that on pro tour events too, when the tees are. I guess if it it
0: has a like, I'm trying. I'm scrolling through the. But that would be like an that'd
1: be that'd be an interesting one too of like if they come out and they're like, all right, tee pads need to be ten feet. Earth tee
0: pads are not allowed at majors or elite series. It just says earthen tee pads are not allowed.
1: Okay, so at every other event. And majors
0: and elite series is the only thing in there.
1: So here's the thing, though. This would be the same thing of where, like, let's say they they were even a little bit more specific, and they're like, "T pads need to be five feet wide, ten feet length at a minimum," right? Yeah. But you could have some courses do like the Rip Revenge thing of where they put a T pad in like a weird, you know, where a tree limb is sticking out over. I've played some courses where you know you have to throw from further back off the further back from the tee pad than you would like normally because there's like a tree right by the front. So you're like, I don't. Yeah. So like that would be the similar in the sense of where like they are structuring something to where, okay, every course has to have it this way, but then you can have these other things come into play that now cause it to be different, similar to the basket. I don't know. Again, I think a lot of learning stuff is coming from it. But also, I will say, like, I love elevated baskets, and I love changing, whether it's on a hill or down a hill or up on a pole or whatever it may be. Um, I think there obviously can come a time and place where it gets a little too excessive and a little too gimmicky, i.e. like Texas State's hole one Mm. or the more famous hole, which is out at Eagles Crossing, like the big cake hole. Yeah. Um, of where now, like uh, you know, you're throwing. I don't know. I think you can get a little crazy, but I, I like them. I think, and I'm also a fan of too. Where I don't think you should necessarily have a free throw every time you putt. And yeah, the way I, you know, shoot the same exact way no matter where you putt. I think adding in the elements of where you have low ceilings sometimes to so where now you have to straddle out or you have to get down on one knee or you have to throw an anhyzer, or You got to throw like a hyzer that drip drops in. Like I think adding more elements to the putting area and having people have to putt differently, I think is the only defense disc golf really has because we, I mean, we don't have any other defense. Like what?
0: Yeah. Well, that brings up two things. Well, first off, like, cause Drew's, point in the tweet was essentially he was calling elevated baskets lazy course design because more or less like if you if that's all you do to a green to make it hard then you didn't really like if, if what from what i got from his tweet he was basically saying like you didn't really try to make the green hard if you were just like oh well to make this difficult we'll elevated basket but like for some greens a there isn't going to be like the perfect defense because of how good the whole, like if you have, you can have a great hole and then you get to the green, and you're like, man, it just needs a little something. And then is a good option there. Because also you can make a green where, you know, the whole left side's death. It's only accessible from this area. But then when you get to that area, it could be like, well, if you throw this shot though, you have a super easy putt. And it kind of like makes the whole where It's super simple. Cause it's like, Oh, just dump out. Right. And you have a wide open putt with no risk, but then you, elevate the basket even though you designed a green that requires you to go to the right elevate the basket it at least adds another another thing to think through um, but what you were just saying of like building up the fence was another thing I wanted to bring up was like in golf you talk a lot about like when the tour comes to a course you know they mm-hmm. can change the length of the grass they can make the greens harder and faster uh, obviously they can change pin locations, locations yeah. location. they, do, they do a lot to like make the course into like a tour level
1: yeah they buff it like,
0: up in disc golf right now, I feel like a lot of times what will happen is... That happens at some places, places where it's possible. But a lot of times is like there's tour courses and there's like fun courses. and But I don't think you necessarily want a like fully tour level course to be something that just like average players, you know, can play every day, if that makes sense. Like, because like, it won't really be fun. If the course is built to challenge the very top of the game and be that hard... And that's the only way the course is built Then, like an average player. I'll go have fun at it. Like once or twice, but if I'm going to play every day, I'm not choosing that course. So if you're a place right now that's trying to get a lot of traffic to your course, you know, you don't really want to just come out with like the toughest, hardest tour level course. So what are some things you think like disc golf in our current situation where we don't have full control over most of the properties? Like, is there things we can do to make courses tour ready? when the tours come into town, like, are there ways to design a a good course for average players that then you can like snap your fingers and turn into a tour course?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when it comes to it, you know, when we don't have obviously Maple Hill, they do control the land and everything out there, right? They own all that. Um, I'd be very interested in talking to, uh, was it Steve Dodge that designed the course? I believe so. I'd be I'd be interested in, in hearing his, like how he went about like what was his process in designing the course because the gold layout there the layout that we play when we go out there is not often played by people that go out there amateurs or people that are just, like you said trying to have fun or whatever it might be one of those like let's say you and Trevor went up there for the weekend yeah you guys might play it the first time. But then after that, you're like, all right, let's play blues. Let's play reds. Let's play whites. And you'll never go back and play the goals. You, it's a, it's probably a one and done situation for you. So I'm curious as to did they set up the course? Because I think with what you would do, and I'm curious if this is right, is I would set up the course for the hardest, longest, what the tour is going to come in and play it. Like set it up that way. And then once I have that course set up, similar to like New London, once you have the course set up, then you can come back and figure out where can we put um, T-pads that are shorter that maybe make the hole a little bit different, but easier, right? Mm -hmm. And now you have two, right there, you have the longs and the shorts. And then if you want, you can find like a medium in between. And now you have a long, short, and medium. Um, And then you could do like a family one where it's like people that really, you know, put them way down the fairway or whatever. I think that's probably the best way of doing it because to me, it would be so much harder to make a course to where you're like, this is what like a local amateur player can come out and play this course and have fun. You make that course and now now you're like, okay, how do we extend it? I feel like you're just gonna get in the way of the other holes. And it's going um, it's gonna be tough.
0: That was like the trend. If you go back in course design a few years ago, um the mindset shifted, I think, a lot more to what you just explained, where you design the hardest top level course first, and then it's a lot easier to add short T's in because you've already cut the line And now you're just like, you might just cut a little like offset to the tee, or you might not even have to cut anything else in at all to put a short tee in. Um, But what used to happen in like a lot of courses, and I'm sure there's disc golfers listening that like still have this feeling, like when you hear long tees, it a lot of times puts a bad taste in your mouth because like at least around here and like some, a lot of courses I've played, what would happen is like the park would want a course designed and made for everyday players, which makes sense. They want traffic. So that's the course that's designed. Then the local disc golf scene would want something harder. And so they would just kind of throw in long tees. And so what long tees essentially meant was just walk 50 feet into the woods without cutting in, slap a tee pad down. And now you have a harder lengthwise course with gaps that are like three feet wide or Mm -hmm. with no gaps. um, And like, that's the blue tees or the long tees. And so like a disc golf, like, like the, um, the East campus course at Liberty, that was like one of the stereotypical blue tee courses, in my opinion, where like the white tees is a good time. You can go out there and have fun. The blue tees have gotten better. But when I first went, like, was at school there, you'd play the blue tees. Cause you would think like, oh, like, you know, I want to challenge. I'm gonna play the blue tees. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was brutal. Like there were several holes where the shot from the blue tee was to lay up to the white tee. So you could actually play the hole. Mm. and like it just made it where the course sucked it was no fun so we ended up just playing a mix where the good blue tees you play those and then play all the white tees but had the course been designed with the blue tees first Mm -hmm. it could have been like the property wise could have been a championship level course and then the white tees probably would have played the same it just would have been cut in from the blues and so like that's what new london did like you said i think that's the perfect way to do it because now you go and play new london from the whites you have a great time it's scorable you still have the feel of a championship level course Uh, Because of the way it's maintained, you're still playing the similar lines that you've seen pros throw because you're playing just a shorter, shortened version of the long course. And when a course is designed that way, it makes it great where the pro tour can come in and they probably won't have to do much, if anything at all, to the course. But then day-to-day players can still, you know, have typical traffic to the course all the time.
1: Yeah, Um, and I I think, obviously, when you were talking about like a wide open course. So a course, like let's say on an old golf course or something like yeah. that. I think you can just simply have, you know, a par three that's 410 feet and then 380 feet, 350 feet, 300 feet. And right there, everyone's going to be throwing essentially the same shot, but from a different distance that suits their skill level. That yeah. makes sense. I think it's trickier when you get into Woods Golf that is not Woods Golf like New London. And for most of the people listening, I'm sure you've watched us play at New London, so you get the gist of what that Woods Golf looks like, of where it's fairways, for the most part, there's a couple that aren't like this, but for the most part, it's fairways and then woods. Yeah. And there's not trees and all sorts of different gaps and all that stuff in the middle of the fairway. I think, again, there... You can have a par four that's 800 feet longs, 720 feet, 650 feet, 580 feet, and that would be a good hole for all those different skill levels. Yeah. I think it's trickier when you go to a course that is more built on the gaps and more built on... Uh, And and the easiest way of seeing this is like just looking at some of the holes. If you've played these courses, looking at the holes that MPO plays versus FPO and just seeing how sometimes for MPO, the hole is so hard. And then for FPO, it's not that hard of a hole for them, even though it's only 30 feet shorter, that 30 feet takes out three gaps or something like that, that the MPO has to hit. Right. And it can be also vice versa of where sometimes the MPO, they put us in a spot of where it's like, oh, we have a big hyzer. And then they make FPO because it's shorter, have to hit a gap. And like mm-hmm. now that holds harder for FPO from a shorter T-pad. Yeah. So I think when it comes to like gap hitting and all that stuff, it can get a little bit more dicey versus just like, oh, it's shorter, it's going to be easier when you are changing up the actual shot. So... That's what I have to say about that.
0: Makes sense. All right. I have one final kind of like prompt or question, if you will, because this is yeah, something that it. just happened to me. I just had this idea. So I, a little context, my anniversary was this past weekend and, Congratulations. um, thank you. How uh, many years? my wife, five years, five years, married, 10 years dating. Um, what is that?
1: That's, uh, what's five. Is that, uh, is that gold is five gold?
0: I have no idea what you're referencing.
1: You don't even know what I'm talking about?
0: No. Silas, so, you tracking with him? You know what he's saying? So, Wait,
1: I'm really? I thought tracking. this was like a I mean, I know a lot of people don't do it, but I still thought people knew about it. Uh you're supposed to do not supposed to, sorry. It's like um <laughs> it's like uh an older an older thing of where like every year is like something different, where like one year is like all right, here we go. Wait, what the heck? Hold on. All right, traditional. It's very traditional, so it's like an older thing. I think it's okay. First anniversary paper, so gift supposed to be from paper. Second, fiber. Third, leather. Flowers is fourth. Fifth is wood.
0: Wood. Okay, I can figure something out. Okay. So 50th, far, this is great. This is very very achievable. Uh,
1: Fiftieth is gold. So I, 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 okay. yeah, so I they wait five years to save. Yeah. I mean, you got, I mean, six is candy. So like, that's like easy, easy. Seven is copper.
0: Yeah, a little pricey. Cut a pipe out of my plumbing. Eighth <laughs> is bronze.
1: Then you got pottery, steel, silk, lace, ivory, crystal, wax. This is fascinating.
0: I've never heard 60,
1: of it. if you make it a 60, it's diamond.
0: Diamond, so. 60. All right. There you go. But yeah,
1: it's that, like mean, a it's like a more old traditional thing.
0: All right. Well, there and, you go. You most, something new. Yeah.
2: There you go. Um, so, so fifth, we went to fifth the anniversary.
0: Fifth anniversary. My wife's like favorite place is the Greenbrier, which is like just mm-hmm. a resort has some golf course and stuff on it. It's like two hours north of us. So we went there, and while we were there, um, like they have like golf, tennis, horseback riding, hiking trails, like all these different amenities. And like they have this one part that's called the like Greenbrier Outdoor Club, which is where you go if you want to go to like the shooting range, you want to do, you want to sign up for the horseback or carriage ride or the off roading stuff like that. I was like, man, disc golf like almost fits into that vibe. And then I was like, Hmm. telling Liz that, I was like, you know, like with hiking trails and stuff, it's really easy to put a disc golf course in with the trails already cut out. And I was like, how would you even go about pitching disc golf to a place like that? Cause like there's so many places that exist where they have like, hiking trails and all of this to where like most of the work of the disc golf course is essentially cut in right Mm -hmm. they would just need to put the money in for tee pads and baskets and then the maintenance again if it's on a place that's already done with like hiking trails and stuff isn't really that much more so it's like from one standpoint it's a no-brainer for places because it's like oh you can pay almost a one-time fee and have another thing to offer guests, but on the flip mm-hmm. side of that coin, disc golf's not at a popularity level that like for a lot for a majority of people that are coming to a lot of places, it's not like a make or break. Like, oh, I'm not going because they don't have disc golf, right? Or, or you might even read it and be like, "What the heck is this?" So, what would be if you were to go to any type of like resort or thing like that? Um, I don't know what's like a like a ski resort or in this case, yeah. just like a golf resort. And pitch disc golf. What's your what's your like sales pitch on it?
1: I mean, here here's the problem. Okay, Let's start with the problem. Here, okay, here, interesting way to start sp- a sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna try to talk through it. We're gonna try to talk through it because I I, I think pitching this idea is not going to work. Like, it, you can't just have a good sales pitch and it work for every single situation because yeah. I think yeah it would only work for certain situations, and the situations being ones that have a lot of land that they don't know what to do with it and they are just kind of in limbo you can pitch them hey while you're trying to figure out what to do with this you know whether you're going to put new construction or turn it into tennis courts or basketball court whatever when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with this like let's just throw some baskets out there and make a disc golf course Because the problem with disc golf is it's not a money generator. Yeah. Right? So you're not going to – you're not – by putting disc golf into those hiking trails, let's say, you're not all of a sudden massively increasing – the green buyer is not massively increasing their revenue. Yeah. Where if they put a new golf course in – You're going to now get a lot of people to travel in to play that new golf course that have maybe played the other ones but haven't played the new one, want to try it out. Now they're staying there. Now they're eating your food. Big revenue generator. The disc golf is going to be more of a, you know, uh, again, don't take this the wrong way. All all my disc golf enthusiasts out there, because I'm one as well, but for the most part it's going to be viewed as kind of like a resort having a shuffleboard. Of yeah. where you're like, "Oh wow. This resort has a shuffleboard. That's awesome." Exactly. Like, that's that's bonus. Like, it's a fun, like it's playing. a
0: fun add-on, but it's not you're not traveling there because I got shuffleboard.
1: Disc golf has not at least I I, have, I haven't seen it yet. And again, you got Eagles Crossing out there and you got Maple Hill basically as the the two that are trying to make this pay to play kind of happen, but Maple I Hills at least
0: got like another revenue. Source exactly, like they're the not Christmas they're not
1: sole on disc golf, but yeah, I haven't yeah. seen of. I just haven't seen myself in the group of people that I play with here. I play with a ton of amateurs, mm-hmm. local guys here. I don't see them. They go up to Dinosaur Valley, which is a little north of here, but that's because one of the guys in our group owns that, and like mm. that's his course and, and all that. It doesn't have the same culture as golf does of where you can make a a guy's trip and travel somewhere to play a course. It could get there. I'm not saying it can't, but I I know right now it's not. So selling that point to someone would be tough because I do not think it's going to be a huge revenue generator. Now, where I think it makes sense is Princeville out in Hawaii, when we went out and did that Hawaii trip and played the golf course out there, they had... I believe a 24 hole course at one point, or maybe they had two 18 hole courses. I can't remember exactly what it was, but essentially they're like, we're just going to take the best land for these two courses we have, or these 24 holes that we have and just turn that into an 18 hole course. And what ended up happening is they have six or eight or nine holes that they kind of just did to the wayside of where it's like, these are kind of, not on the ocean, whatever, whatever, the throwaway holes. And so they didn't maintain or keep up with those holes. And now they're in this thing of like, what are they going to do now? Eventually they probably are going to put property there, right? They're probably going to have villas or uh, add more hotel, whatever. But as of right now, they don't have anything. And so they were like, oh, so someone pitched them the disc golf idea. And they're like, yeah, I mean, we're not maintaining it really. So like that doesn't hurt us. And so that does bring in a little bit of extra revenue for people that are already on the island or people that do go there for golf and are like, oh, they have a disc golf course too? Like, oh, that's cool. Let's play that. I just don't know anyone from the States that's flying into Princeville to play the disc golf course, right? Yeah. So to them, like, that's a no-brainer because it's like, it's just what else? You're there. not we're doing not, anything else on not... land. That's what, where... the problem with what you said though, the hiking thing, It's kind of like, you know It's kind of it's kind of like having the the scooter riders show up to the skate park. (laughs) Right? Of where you might have a lot of people that really enjoy the hikes and all that and now all of a sudden you got discs flying in and all that. Like are you now causing a little bit of a chaos of or, or the same notion of like go- disc golfers on golf courses of yeah. where a golf course might be not being able to fill up their tee sheet every day. So they're like, all right, let's put a disc golf course in and we'll have times where disc golf can come play. Now you have golfers that are pissed off that disc golfers are out there. Like I don't think you're going to have this synergy of like, oh, yeah, the hikers are going to love that discs are now being tossed around when they go That's on a true. hike. That's very good. So true. that's the other thing you have to worry about on like usage of land that's or land that's already being used for something else, adding something to it, yeah. is it going to take away at all for the people that are already using it? But
0: yeah. Cause that's what um when we went out to uh Jackson Hole, they had like a ski resort there. And we went mm-hmm. in July because we we're going out to Yellowstone and Jackson like Grand Hole Teton was phenomenal, by the uh, way. park. Yeah, it was incredible. And when we were at the like Um, I forget what the ski like resort part was, but the very top of the mountain was still snowy. So they still had some like very limited ski slopes open, but some of like the lower ones on the mountain weren't because there wasn't snow down there. So what they had done was they had cut in that was only available during the off season of skiing and snowing. They had cut in like mountain bike trails and then Mm -hmm. looping within the mountain bike trails was a disc golf course. And so like Similar thing to what you were saying. Like my dad and I, we were there to go, we went to the top because they had like a waffle restaurant at the top of this mountain. We went and ate waffles up there and we were coming back down. I was like, there's a disc golf basket right there. What the heck? So we went in the shop, asked it was five bucks for a round, and my dad and I were like, Oh, well, since we're here, let's yep. rent some discs. And so we it was like five bucks for the round. I think it was a few bucks to rent some discs. So they ended up, you know, making, let's just say 15 bucks off my dad and I combined. And we just went and it was a super easy walk. And while you're you're on the side of a mountain, so you have like a gorgeous view, played some disc golf. It was a ton of fun. But that was like a circumstantial mm-hmm. way of like, we're already there. We weren't there for disc golf. We, I didn't even know they had a disc golf course. I just happened to see a basket, ask about it. And then, yeah, they made 10 bucks or 15 bucks off us. They wouldn't have had they not had it. But it wasn't something like everyone in the area was talking about. Like and everyone was there to play this disc golf course. Like we were literally while we were playing there was just signs you had to pay attention because like mountain bikers were using it and like would come across your fairway and you just had to like watch out for the mountain bikers and stuff. It was a very multi-use thing. But the whole reason it existed was they had this land that for three or four months out of the year, they couldn't use. Had nothing going on. Yeah. And so they were like, we need something on this land. And it was just an easy way to put natural tee pads and some disc golf baskets. And that was it. It was Yeah. And I
1: think, yeah, I would say, I think as people get, more exposed to disc golf those type of situations make more and more sense yeah because you have a larger pool of people that having a disc golf course like you said might not be the make or break on whether or not they visit there or go there but could be a fun additional add-on of where it's like oh sick like yeah i know what disc golf is it'd be fun to play here let's let's do it
0: I'd be curious, because um, you were talking and it's very true, like golf courses that have disc golf on them, golfers get very annoyed with disc golfers and it's caused a lot of issues because like you already have something being used for one thing and then you just add yes. something to it. I would be very curious of like what tennis players think of pickleball, like because like a lot of tennis courts are just being doubled used as pickleballs. like at for instance, at the Greenbrier, they now offer pickleball, and I saw a lot of people carrying pickleball paddles. Mm -hmm. but they just are using the indoor tennis courts and the outdoor tennis courts to play pickleball on. And like, I could see where that'd be frustrating. If you show up to play tennis with your friends and you walk up and like all the courts being used by pickleball players. Like, I wonder if it's a similar vibe, like if tennis players can't stand pickleball or or anything like that.
1: No, I mean, for the ones where, you know, they're either converting, right. They're converting tennis courts to pickleball courts, or they're simply just playing pickleball on tennis courts. I can a hundred percent, guarantee that tennis players are like what the heck this is bogus yeah same thing as like you know like indoor racquetball courts right like if you were going to go play racquetball and you show up and like two of the courts are being occupied by like i don't know dodgeball or something that does not involve racquetball you're going to be like what the heck man i think whenever whenever uh, a facility is being used by something that wasn't designed to be used by. And the person that shows up to use it that way, like they're going to be annoyed. Now, is anyone in the wrong? Not necessarily, but you're just going to have people that are annoyed. And I I, I always wonder that too, because I, I think pickleball is something that, I don't think it's going to go anywhere because I think so many people do love tennis and as they get older,
0: it becomes easier to play pickleball.
1: Correct. And it's the same thing that kind of what we mentioned with golf. Like one of the reasons why golf is so popular is because majority of the time you're just in a golf cart driving around on beautiful courses. Yeah. So it's something that you can do for a very, very long time. Tennis is is something that you can't do for a very long, long time. As soon as your knees start going, it, it is it is not super comfortable, and it's also a sport that is very not fun when you're playing with people that aren't good. Yeah, pickleball it's very hard to be bad at pickleball. Yeah, so I don't see it going anywhere. But do I see it as like a little bit of a, a fad, or like a trend that? is very popular right now and is probably going to slowly die out? I think so. Because again, I think it's going to turn into more of an, the way I would view it is I think it's going to turn more, I could be wrong, but it's going to turn more into an older sport yeah, similar to golf. I would agree. And because if you're 20, yeah, if you're 20 years old, like aren't you playing tennis?
0: I think the difference is like if I went out and played pickleball, I could compete with a wide array of people my age of like, if someone who's really good at pickleball showed up, it kind of like ping pong. If someone who's incredible at ping pong shows up, I'm not gonna be able to play against them. But if someone who's solid at ping pong, I can take them even if I not win, but I can at least be competitive. Yes. Tennis is a much higher barrier to entry where like, if I play someone who's even decent at tennis, I'm not gonna be able to return their serves. Mm-hmm. But like if me and Trevor go out, we're going to have a fun competitive match because we're similarly skill level. Whereas like if someone who's just like, like because of the way pickleball is, you can add spin and stuff like that, but it's very easy to return. So if I can get to the ball, I can return it. And so then it's just like, you do, I don't have to have really high skill and technical knowledge to be able to play pickleball. So someone like me, I would be more if a bunch of buddies text me and said, Hey, let's go play tennis. I'm less likely to say yes, and a bunch of buddies text me and said, "Let's go play pickleball," just because like yeah. I'm gonna have more fun if I play pickleball. So I think that's where it kind of lives. Um, but I definitely, I was talking agree. more on the it's competitive like a, side. On the competitive side, I definitely agree. It, it's definitely like you're, more of a like older, or like if I I could see like casual players like if there was a pickleball tournament next weekend, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm I was like, you know what, like, I'm gonna go enter it. I could see that.
2: I'm talking
1: more like if you're 16 years old, are you? pursuing a pickleball career if you were good enough to play tennis
0: no i think the only way is g- if you're not good enough to make it in tennis
1: yeah i don't know see like i would assume like if you can't make it in tennis pickleball is the way for you and i think the majority of pickleball players that i have seen online have like the you know the clips and stuff that i see in tournaments and like i you know I'm assuming they came from a tennis background. Like they were either a teaching pro or played in college or something and now they're playing pickleball. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that's where it's tough is I think it's tough when you have someone that is skillful in that area, I guess you could say, of expertise, whether it's the hand-eye, paddle, racket, whatever sport, like them making... Pickleball is just going to always be inferior to tennis in that regard, right? Because all the best players are going to go to tennis, you would assume.
0: You would assume, yeah.
1: I could be wrong. It'd be,
0: I, I think it'd be a very hard – we talked about this a little last week of like disc golf and golf are in slightly different sphere just because like one's a the, – the actual act of the sports yes. are different. Whereas like pickleball and tennis, they're the same sport. At the very core if, essence of if you, it. like,
1: if you're really good at tennis, you're going to be good at pickleball, and if yeah, you're if really you're good at pickleball, tennis. you're going to be good at tennis. Like, there, you're not going to, you're not going to be. Yeah,
0: I think the tough you part can't is, like, You can't be good at one history. and bad at the other. Well, you could be, you could be good at pickleball and bad at tennis, but you can't. No. There's no shot you no. can be great at. tennis. No, I'm talking about like
1: good. I'm talking about like, like very good, good. good at. Yeah, I'm talking about very good at pickleball. If yeah. you're very good at pickleball. I highly doubt you put a tennis racket in your hand and all of a sudden you're just like I have no idea what I'm
0: doing. The only thing would be like a tennis ball is going to be moving way faster than you're ever used to.
1: Yeah, but If you didn't have a tennis I'm, Again, I'm but talking yes. about like the very very good people. Like you can be very good at golf and be terrible at disc golf. You can be Correct. very good at go- disc golf and be terrible at golf. They're two Correct. very they different. They don't translate at all. They don't have no translation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The uh but yeah, I think the toughest part with like pickleball is just The history to overcome of like, you're not going to see pickleball at Wimbledon, at least not anytime soon. And by the time Mm -hmm. you do, tennis is like tennis isn't going anywhere in that aspect. And so like, that's going to be the toughest thing is if you're a 16 year old and you love pickleball, a chances are you also love tennis, but B, if you're that good and you know, you have a future in both sports, it's going to be hard to turn down millions for thousands.
1: Well, the media the media plays such a huge role in this too, because I just I've, I've been watching some of these CrossFit game documentaries over the last several years. Yeah, I completely forgot about the CrossFit games
0: yeah. the only, like, only reason I ever did, watched it was like I had a friend who was into CrossFit and would like come over and turn it on
1: but you knew, did you know they were happening?:
0: No, I didn't know when they were happening. I knew they existed, but I, I could not tell you when they happened or anything like that no.
1: But, like, I thought they were done. Like, I thought the CrossFit Games was done. Like, I haven't heard anything about the CrossFit Games in a very long time.
0: No, it's been years.
1: And I don't know if that's because they're not on ESPN2 anymore or ESPN or whatever it may be. But um, it's so interesting, too, just, like, I don't know, like, Tour de France, too. Like, some of these things, like, when you have a, a Lance Armstrong, right, and he's all over the news. He's all over SportsCenter. Center. Like it makes the sport pop, and yeah. everyone's talking about the Tour de France. Like when was the last time you heard anyone talk about the Tour de France? Like you would almost think like it it wasn't happening. Yeah, it, if it hadn't like,
0: happened for since I was in high school, it wouldn't surprise me. Like if it hadn't happened for like seven or eight years.
1: But that that's so fascinating because like if you're a diehard, if you're a diehard cyclist yeah you probably haven't seen a change right because you're still you're you're still watching it you're still seeing everything but if you're a casual there hasn't been anyone that has like popped off to where it's made the media talk about it so you don't know about it and i i think that is huge i think having something like that for some of these sports that are more on the fringe you need to have that because NFL, college football, NBA, all these sports in America, they're always going to get pressed. They're always going to be talked about. Everyone's, regardless of whether or not you have another Tom Brady show up or you have another LeBron James or whatever, they're always going to be talked about. But more of these fringe sports that, you know, a Tony Hawk comes in and everyone is like skateboarding, playing the video games, yada, yada. And then bounces same thing as like a tiger woods yeah right like tiger woods comes in changes golf tiger woods leaves like i'm still a huge golf fan i could tell you like no man this guy's sick and this guy's but like there are some athletes that move the needle and it's like yeah if pickleball gets one of those right that like moves the needle like you're not a big mma guy are you no ufc
0: but I'll watch some fights if the right people are fighting.
1: Yeah, like Conor McGregor, like he yeah. got a lot of people their their eyes on MMA, and and you need to have those people because you you let's say like Conor McGregor got fifty million people. That might be way too many, but fifty million people to tune in to his fights that normally wouldn't. You're going to have forty five million of those people be like, "Oh, okay, that was cool." and zone out, but you might have 5 million stick around and be like, Oh wow, that's cool. And then they yep. start watching other stuff and now they turn to fans. So well, I don't like know why with, I don't really um, know what my point of that all was, but I do think it's just, it's no, interesting because it a, fascinating, like, within a bubble, CrossFit games were gone.
0: Yeah. Like within, and disc golf falls into this, like within the bubble, we'll have like outside notoriety and like things happen. And like in the bubble, we like freak out over it, but then we go right back to caring about what's going on the next week. And like, everyone else forgets disc golf exists existed to a certain extent. Uh, like tour de France is a great example of like, nah I hadn't even heard tour de France in years, but like you're saying a diehard cyclist, like they could probably tell me exactly when it happens, who won the last five, whatever. I'm mean, like, I didn't even know what's happening. Uh, and golf on the flip side, like what you were saying about MMA, when Tiger woods made his return oh, when I was in college, like that was the first time I ever watched a golf tournament. Cause mm. I like heard of Tiger woods and stuff like, but m- when most of his career, I was in like middle school, elementary high school, i know somewhere in that range where like, I didn't really care that much. And then he made his return. It was like such a big news story. I was like, well, I've got to tune in. And I think it was the mm-hmm. first time he was uh, competitive again. Like the first time he had a shot at a win was when I was like, I've got to tune in. And once I tuned in, that's when I was like, man, golf's kind of fascinating. And that's when I like, because it was the first time I'd seen, I'd actually paid attention to golf to where like they had spin control. I could tell like they were actually shot, like shot shaping and stuff. I'm like, there's way more to this. And the next thing you know, I actually started just like enjoying watching golf. I'm still not like a diehard fan to where like I watch every tournament. But if I no. sit down, you and didn't a golf watch the RSN? No. If I sit down and a golf tournament's on, I'm going to turn it on. Like if I'm watching TV, I'm definitely going to tune in and like I'll check my ESPN app and pay attention to like who's doing what. So like a pl- Tiger Woods, and I'm sure I'm far from the only one, turned me from like never watching golf to now like a casual viewer. And then I'm sure if he gets in contention, because I know he's playing in December, if he gets in contention again, somehow it might push me even farther into a more well, diehard golf hero, fan type thing. That's
1: the Hero World Challenge. That's like a little wow. Well, still, if he wins, man, there's, like there's no dinky there. tournaments.
0: There's like 30 people there. Tigers won um, the 30. There's no dinky tournaments.
1: I do want to talk about this in a second, though, because I thought this was actually very fascinating here in a second. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll end, we'll end this talk of where the easiest way, Ultimate Frisbee, I thought it was a lot bigger than it was. As soon as I stopped like being in it, yeah. as soon as I stopped playing Ultimate, I, I didn't hear anyone talking about it. Yeah. So it's like, as soon as you remove yourself from that bubble, you like realize like, oh wow. Like, like if you don't go
0: looking for information, you're not going to find it. Exactly. Like the only
1: people really talking about this are the people that are like in the bubble. So, um, I think disc golf is a little bit, maybe outside of that a little bit, but it'd be cool to see it even more outside. But let's talk a little bit about strength of schedule or strength of the field because you brought up like dinky tournament whatever whatever and i saw you did you tweet out to stat mando asking him what had a better strength of field big germ's wedding yeah. or new world yeah
0: i was pretty i thought that was a very funny tweet people apparently, took it apparently people took it uh like i was trying to insult paul somehow people always try to find something where there's nothing but i thought i thought it was a very funny tweet
1: oh well people thought i was being I, people thought i was devaluing his win too because it was paul no i would have devalued anyone's win I was basically devaluing my top 10 saying like, I could just show up and play terrible and get a top 10. Like what other tournament are you doing that? Lake Marshall actually had a a weaker strength of schedule. Yeah. I saw that. on that Mando. Then New World, which I thought was interesting, but going into it a little bit, I was listening to my, my, you know, my, my go to golf podcast and they are kind of going through something very similar and their world ranking systems and how they do strength of schedule and all this stuff. And it kind of brought up some interesting ideas. First one being how circular the rating system is and how essentially if you have something that is inaccurate or not set up in a way to really showcase what your rating actually is, it then affects other people's ratings, which then can affect others. people, And then you just have this big circle. Yeah. Right. So let me explain that real quick. Essentially, if you play a tournament and the ratings are inflated based off of lower rated players, making the course look much harder than it actually is. And you are playing in these tournaments all the time. So now your rating is inflated then you get you go to another tournament to where now you have a higher rating now you're going to impact those ratings in a negative way essentially right because or you might even impact them actually you might impact them in a positive way right yeah, it you depends might on how you play Depends on how you play, but you can see how like if you have an inflated rating, how then you can inflate or deflate other people's ratings who then can inflate or deflate other people's ratings. And it makes it a situation where we, if we're talking about strength of schedule or s- strength of the field, this was another point that I thought was interesting is in golf, they were basically saying, and I, and I actually would believe them in this, Winning a tournament where you have, let's say, 70 guys. And out of those 70 guys, you only have a handful of the top guys there. Winning that tournament is probably easier than winning a tournament where none of the top guys are there, but you have like 140 people. Because... In golf, the difference between like number five and number 10 or number 10 and number 20 or number 20 and number 30, the gap isn't really that massive. Like number 50 in the world, number 70 in the world can win these tournaments.
0: Yeah, I guess it's because there, there is that many more people that could win. Correct. Going in even so, when the full field's full.
1: Yes. But in disc golf, you look at something like New World, which had a whole lot of people. There yeah. are people in that tournament that, that just can't win it.
0: Correct. So like like if I, sh- I could have showed up to New World and I would have had no chance of ever sniffing the win. Whereas, so the like, you're gap, not going to show up to a PGA event. Technically, you aren't going to be on tour in the PGA and have literally no chance of a win, right?
1: So the guy that won, the guy that won the RSM, for example, that was his first top five finish ever, mm. and he has won. So his first top five that he ever got, he just wins, right? That's more rare, I would say, in disc golf.
0: It feel it. I don't know if it's true backed by stats, but.
1: For like elite series events?
0: I mean, it's it's headed that way for sure.
1: Like who won this year? That year is like they've never won before. i never. Robinson,
0: in, but I don't know what I mean. He's yeah, been, but he he's he's been was also rookie before. of the
1: year. He was also yes. rookie of the year.
0: Yeah. Was, well, he's rookie so of the like, year this year. But but he's in contention a lot more. Yeah.
1: No, but my point being is like he is he's not going to be a flash in the pan. He's going no. to be a top player for years to come. I'm talking Correct. about like I'm talking about someone like that has been touring for like 20 years and or not 20. Sorry, has been touring for like five years has never had a top five and then just wins like that seems like it'd be very rare.
0: Yeah. I can't think of anyone that that would, that that would fit. I don't really know what the point is, but yes, you're right. My,
1: I guess my, my point is, is like disc golf right now, just with where, with where it is right now, there, there seems to be more of a, this is like, these are the top players these are the middle guys. Yeah. There's these a bigger are the gap guys. between each category. And like, there's bottom guys where you're like, none of these people have a shot to win or get in the top 10.
0: Yes. And there's like a
1: middle section where you're like, none of these people have a shot of winning. And it's like, so when you're doing strength of field, are like what What are they basing strength of field off of? Because you could be a 10-20 rated player. Because if they're doing it off of ratings, you can be a 10-20 rated player and have no chance of winning.
0: Correct. I don't know what they're doing it off of. I would assume it's ratings. But, I mean, they could be doing world rankings, possibly. But even what world rankings, they you could do... What should uh, they do it off of? They should do it off of world rankings, in my opinion. Um, but, I mean... Just because world rankings, at least, is, I don't know, I don't know. I'm gonna see like in disc golf,
1: because in disc golf, in disc golf, if you don't have if you're if you're one of the top ten players in the world and you're there, and the other nine of the top ten players aren't there, but eleven through twenty are there, you have a really good shot at winning
0: that. That is, yeah, that's correct. Like if Ricky showed up to a tournament, the number one in the world, and the field was full of, uh, we'll just go, A, B, Chris Clemens, James Comrad, Kevin Jones, Alden Harris, and Bradley Williams. I can actually just do this with you. Discs compare thing. So that's 15 Daniel. to 20th, and then Ricky. If you hit, oh, that's max of six players. Okay, we're gonna take a we're gonna take Bradley Williams out of the equation. 15 to 19, and then Ricky. Ooh,
1: Bradley Williams beat him at a Preserve.
0: So if you go. Ricky and then the rest of the fields, AB, Chris Clemens, James Comrade, Kevin Jones, Alden Harris. So 15 to 19. Ricky has a 53% chance of winning.
1: Oh, it gives you just a percent of chance of winning. That's yeah, win probability.
0: So he has a very oh. solid chance versus you just throw, you replace Alden Harris one of those guys with, with one of the top. Paul Macbeth and you hit compare. Now Ricky has 40% chance and Paul has 37% chance.
1: Hmm.
0: So it takes his win percentage down by like 14% just adding one of the top guys in.
1: I don't even really know what my point 20. is. I don't even really know what my point is of all that's this. That's what I was
0: saying. Is I don't really know the point of the of what you're saying, but you're say what you're saying is true.
1: I'm saying well, I'm saying a lot. Yeah. But am I saying anything at all? I don't know.
0: <laughs> that's that's <laughs> debate uh, night.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a numbers game, folks. You just say a bunch of stuff and hopefully something sticks. I think what I'm saying is in golf strength of field the the it's amount hard. of players
0: in golf matters for strength of field more than in disc golf. The quality Correct. of players in disc golf matters more. In, versus, like you could have a twenty player field in disc golf, but it's players one through twenty. It's gonna be harder to win that than an eighty player field that only one of the top twenties in. Yeah. Whereas in golf, that's yes. not true.
1: I think yeah. I think if I'm a if I'm one of the top golfers, I would rather play a tournament. Because again, in disc golf, I, I guess this was my point. In disc golf, if you're one of the top guys, you're really just looking at a handful of guys and being like, I have to beat these people. Yeah. In golf, yeah, you're looking at those people being like, yeah, those people are really good, but I also have to beat these other 80 people that are all in the field. Yeah. Because it's, it, yeah. I I don't know if there was really a point in saying all that, but I think Strength of field is something that I hope that we continue to – I guess this was the point. I hope strength of field is a metric that we continue to tinker with and work with because I think it is for for the people listening to this podcast, like the diehard disc golf fans. I think it is something that is important to look at when you're seeing who's won what versus, oh, they just won this tournament. That's a huge win. Like, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting to go and look at those numbers because again, like we don't I wish we had statistics that were really really solid and locked in of where you could say like strokes gained because again, I think strokes gained is very arbitrary to the tournaments you play in because if you play in a tournament that has a bunch of for example, like I played absolutely butt cheeks at New World but my guess is my strokes gained, which I think they're still doing. They should be. My, ge- my guess would be my strokes gained at New World was probably pretty high because there were a lot of people in the field that weren't that good. And so it made my strokes gained seem probably better than they actually were. Let's see here. Let's see if my uh, my theory is right.
0: Your strokes like gained T to green?
1: Wait. I don't see it.
0: Gain T to green. You had ten point oh four at New World.
1: Wait, do you see it?
0: Yeah, I just read it to you. Where are you on? You disc?
1: I'm on my 2023 disc golf pro tour statistics. Oh, I'm at. I don't I'm see on strokes gained.
0: It's gain T to oh, green. Oh,
1: oh, I have to go probably to New World. Yeah, there's like gain oh, tee to green,
0: go. gained putting. So you gained five point six strokes putting and ten strokes tee to green.
1: Yeah, and I played terrible. So like go to let's go to um, let's go to a tournament that I played decent at, D Glow. Gain putting. One Yeah, look at that. Look at yeah. that. Gained they about putting the same t- negative. t Green was one point five nine. At D Glow? Yes.
0: t to Green's ten point four. Gained putting's one point nine.
1: Wait, what? Look, look.
0: Are you, what? I'm on you. Are you on go, this? Are you on this right here? Yeah, this, this is this year. You're on this year or you're on last year?
1: Oh, I'm on 2021. Okay, that heck? makes sense.
0: Okay, well, 2022 oh, hold on. did much better. <laughs> <Hold>
1: <laughs> Not the same yeah. strokes gained t- oh degree, my but the putting is actually different. Putting was worse or better?
0: Then New okay. World worse?
1: Uh, who cares? T Green perfect. TD Green, strokes gained for both were the same, right?
0: TD Green, you actually had more TD Green gained at Glow than New World.
1: Well, well, I would hope so because, like I said, New World I did not play well at all. But the yeah. fact that I gained just as many strokes at New World as I did to Glow, that shows more about how the f- – because strokes gained is off of the field. Correct. It's so, you, it's what you gained have,
0: on the average player in the field, T to green,
1: correct. And the average player in the field at D glow was much higher than the average player at correct. New World. Yeah, D-Glo so is one I of could the play, fields. yeah, so I could play really bad at New World, but my T to green is still really good based off of that. Oh, so that, they do that,
0: have the strokes gained totals down here 11.3 at D glow and New World. Let me scroll down. New World was. 10.6. So basically, almost the same, half a stroke difference. Yeah. And
1: I would, I threw way better at, at Digo than I did at New World. So, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Stats are fun. Wrap
1: it up. Uh, strength of field, very interesting. Something that definitely would like more, more, uh, more people talking about that at certain sure. tournaments coming up. Cause that, I mean, right. that would be a, a, a I good a way of stat. seeing. Yeah. A good way of seeing like what, what are some really hard wins out there on tour?
0: Yeah. All right. There you have it. That's this week's debate night. Hopefully you enjoyed. Um, we'll be back here again, same time, same place next week. Don't forget to check out black Friday sales, foundation Uh, got a whole bunch going down.
1: We should do the caller show next.
0: Caller show next. Okay. We'll yeah, figure.
1: If we can make that work,
0: We might have to go what one that, more week just because it's Thanksgiving. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Thanksgiving this heck? week. So we might have to go next week. We'll do the call. Maybe we'll have one more episode. Then we'll do the caller show to end out the month and release it beginning in December.
1: We also might be in the Dominican Republic. So that could be
0: fascinating. That could be. uh, Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, Regardless. folks, We'll have a show next week. We'll talk to you all then.